time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. It's a Friday, and thanks for joining me. Very excited to share with you the second part of this series that I'm doing on the authority of Scripture. Now, why do we even think that the Bible has something to say? And, you know, hey, because it comes from God, right? If it comes from a God who already has authority, we talked about last time how God has inherent authority by virtue of the fact that he's God and that we know what he's like because of Scripture. And we were just talking about how from Scripture, how God has established his authority in himself and from a scriptural standpoint, from a logical standpoint. But, you know, God's authority sometimes is questioned. In fact, it's, it's questioned throughout Genesis to Revelation today in our culture from the first very words think about it the first words of the authoritative revelation of God in the beginning God those few words are challenged in our culture today of course they can't stand up against facts but they're still challenged right you know the New Testament tells us that God is the true God and that he is a God of truth. He is a God of truth. We see that all throughout the New Testament, John 3, 33, John 17, 3, Romans 3, 4, 1 Thess 1, 9. We see it throughout the New Testament. But we also see several other things about this God of truth. It said, tells us in Romans 2, 2, that his judgments are trustworthy and just. In other words, Whatever God says in his word, he claims that those words can be trusted. And in the culture you and I live in, we're told they cannot be trusted. Do not trust God's word for history. Do not trust God's word for science. Don't trust God's word for philosophy. Don't trust God's word for facts. Don't trust God's word for the origins of the universe. Don't trust God's word for whether man is man and female is female. Don't trust God's words concerning marriage. Don't trust God's words concerning sexuality. Don't trust God's words concerning relationships or parenting or how you think about yourself. Don't trust God's words. That's the message of our culture today. And yet God says, no, you can trust my words. So the question is, who are you going to trust? You're going to trust what you hear in culture? You're going to trust what God says. The Bible also says that that God is a that the knowledge of God, that when you know God, you know the truth. Romans 118, 125, you know, tells us that that we can know this God. And that when he reveals himself, we can trust what he's said. John 1 9 tells us that Christ is the true light. He's the true bread. He's the true vine. John 6 32, John 15 1. That Jesus is the true light we should follow to let illumine our way, to, to light the way to God. He's the true bread that we should consume in our lives. We should have in our lives in John 6. And he's the true vine from which we Receive our nourishment in life. John 15, 1. The Bible says in John 8, 14, in Revelation 3, 14, that Christ bears a true witness to us. 
The Bible tells us in John 8, 16 that his judgments are true. Romans 15, 8, that he is a minister of the truth of God. John 1, 14 tells us that Jesus Christ was full of truth. <laughs> I mean, think about it. He claims to be the one who is, doesn't just have some truth. I have some truth, but he's full of truth. That's quite a claim. We ignore that claim a lot, don't we, in the body of Christ? We go other places to look for our truth. We go for people's crazy ideas, Christians' crazy ideas, Christians' crazy made-up stories, dreams they've had, stupid trips to heaven that they claim to have gone on. No, Jesus is the source of truth. He's the one that's full of truth. In fact, he claimed to be the truth in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, Devon article, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Wow. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing that all throughout the Bible, we see Jesus, we see his word claiming to be the fountainhead, the wellspring of truth. If you want to find out what's really real, what's true about fill in the blank, then look into God's word and soak it in and take a drink of it. It, it, It's like going to a well. You've probably never been to a real well and dropped a real bucket and drawn water from it. I think I may have done that once or something in my life when I was a kid. Most people never do that. But Jesus says, I I am that source of pure water, of pure truth. You see, a person's word is an expression of their character. You know, you're probably like me. You've probably been lied to in your life by someone. People say, hey, oh, I'll be there. I'll see you there. Can't wait. And they never show up. Or count me in. And yet, they're absent. Or someone made a promise to you, and they broke their promise. Guess what? We've all experienced that. But that just tells us something about their character. If they deliberately break a promise, or if they deliberately mislead us. Because a person's word is an expression of their character. There's an old expression used to say, a person's word is their bond. In other words, a person's word is really what what seals them as a human being, what makes them them. And if you can't trust their word, guess what? You can't trust them unless their character changes, right? So, But unlike us, God's word never contradicts his character. Everything that we see in the Bible that God expresses to us is nothing more than expression of his character, of who he is and how he works. So if you want to know God, you have to find out what he said. Because in his word, in what he has said, is revealed to us who he is, his character. So if scripture really is the word of God, then the words of God are authoritative because God is authoritative. Now there are four truths about the authority of scripture that I want to share with you. Four truths. Here they are. Number one, 
authority lies with God and his word, not with people. Okay? Like right now, I've been sharing with you the authoritative word of God and God's truth. But guess what? The authority does not reside in me. It doesn't come from me. The truth does not come from me. I, I am simply a conduit. I'm a messenger giving God's truth. I'm the mailman, okay? You're the mailman when you share God's truth. You're simply delivering to someone what someone else has said or written, right? So authority lies with God himself. Secondly, the Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God. Every word, literally is what that means. Every word is inspired by God. And that word inspired is a unique Greek construction there. It means to be God-breathed. It's like God breathing his breath of truth on us. And it extends to all scripture. Well, what is all scripture? What does that mean? Well, all scripture would be whatever Jesus, the Old Testament, and the New Testament apostles considered to be scripture. What was recognized as scripture by the end of the first century? What, what was it? Well, it was Genesis to Revelation. That's what it was. And all of that scripture is God-breathed. That, that's why we don't recognize certain apocryphal books or pseudepigraphal books that are the Epistle of Barnabas or the Gospel according to Thomas or, you know, Tobit or some of the um, some of the Old Testament apocrypha that, for example, is in the Catholic Bible. We don't recognize those. Why? Well, they weren't written by prophets or apostles. They weren't recognized by Jesus, by Paul, or by the early church as being authoritative. Plus, they contain a lot of historical and geographical and factual lies and anachronisms that there are mistakes in those. So obviously they're not God breathed. But the 66 books of our Bible are. Thirdly, God's word is truth according to Jesus Christ. Jesus recognized all of the Old Testament as being truth. In fact, that's what he said in his in his prayer to the Father. In John 17, he says, Your word is truth. And that's what I've given my disciples. And that's what I want them to give their disciples. And for them to give their disciples, that's the job of the church. In fact, the church in 1 Timothy 3.15 is called a church. Now, you ready for this? The church is called the pillar and ground, the pillar and support of the truth. In other words, we are the repositors of truth in the world today in terms of, of humanly guarding the truth and humanly spreading the truth. The church, what's the church? The church is believers. The church is the bride of Christ. It is our responsibility to tell the world about God. Guess what? It's not the government's responsibility. It's not the government's responsibility to lead kids in prayer in schools. It's not the government's responsibility to tell children in public schools about God. I don't want the government to do that for me. I don't want the government to teach my kids about God. I want to teach my kids. I did teach my kids about God. Truth does not reside in Washington, D.C., friends. 
It doesn't reside in the state capital of your state. It doesn't reside in your country. Truth resides in the church. The church's job is to support the truth in the world, to guard the truth in the world, and to spread the truth in the world. So authority lies with God, not the preacher, not the messenger. All Scripture is God-breathed. God's Word is truth, according to Jesus. And fourthly, also according to Jesus, the Word of God is His primary way of bringing us into maturity and Christ's likeness. God's Word is His primary way to bring us into maturity and Christ's likeness. Now, watch this now. Don't get lost. It's not in just bringing your body to church. It's not in just owning a Bible. It's not in just being a part of Christian activities, knowing Christian friends, or joining a Christian group, or whatever. It's when you and I personally engage and interact in the Scripture, that's when we put ourselves into an environment where growth can take place. It's not automatic. You you don't just open your Bible and by some magic osmosis, supernaturally, God's power jumps off the page and makes you stronger or causes you to grow in Christ. No, it's not automatic. But as we, as our hearts and souls and minds allow the Scripture to marinate inside us, we begin to mature. We begin to change. We begin to become more like Jesus Christ. And that's what God has designed for us from the moment of salvation. And so when we receive God's Word as being authoritative, then that naturally leads to obedience in our lives. I mean, God wants us to obey Him out of relationship and out of a deep respect and out of a sense of of worship of Him. God doesn't want us to obey Him because, you know, we're some sort of slaves in terms of not having a relationship with Him. We are slaves to Christ, but not without a relationship to Him. So when we look at the Bible, we see that the Bible contains the mind of God, the true state of man, the way of salvation, and the happiness and joy for believers. It contains everything we need to know in our lives. In fact, there's a really cool verse over in Second Peter chapter 1. This is so cool. Listen to what Peter says. He says, seeing, this is verse 3 in chapter 1. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Watch this. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So here's the question. How are we supposed to enjoy everything pertaining to life and godliness? How do we get that? Answer in the verse, through the true knowledge of him who called us. Question, how do we get the true knowledge of him who called us? Answer, the word of God. So you see how it all begins there? You say, well, doesn't it just begin with prayer? Prayer to who? What God are you praying to? How do you know what he's like? How do you even know how to express yourself to him? You got to know something about God to pray to him. You got to at least know he's, he exists. You have to know he will hear you. 
You have to believe that he's willing to listen and that he cares about you. Where do you find out that God cares about you? Through the Bible. You don't look at the stars and automatically know that God cares about you. You just know that he's created the stars, that he's great, he's divine, he's creative, he's wonderful. So you say, yeah, no, no, prayer, prayer's not it. Prayer then becomes an outgrowth of the knowledge that you receive from him. The more knowledge that you see from him through his word, the more you're motivated to talk to him about the wonderful things that you have learned about who he is. Isn't that cool? You know, when we think about the authority of Scripture, that authority ends up being what what starts to transform us from the inside out. That our hearts and our minds begin to be changed the more that Word is in us. There's a really cool verse in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, Don't be conformed to the world, but rather, you ready for this? Rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You say, well, how do I transform my mind? Should I sit cross-legged on the floor and put on incense and hum something? Is that how I transform my mind, just to empty it? Should I listen to some music? How do you transform your mind? You transform your mind by allowing God to replace the naturally broken thoughts that we have, the decayed, gangrenous thoughts that we have with his pure thoughts, with his pure word. And the more we're thinking about God and thinking about who he is, guess what happens? Our mind begins to be transformed. And we suddenly find yourself in a situation in life because we live life every day, right? We face a situation, whether it's frustrating or whether it's joyful or whether we encounter someone a person or, or a relative or a spouse or a child or a parent or whatever, we encounter someone and we wonder unconsciously, what should I feel about this situation? What should I think about this situation? And what should I do about this situation? Do you know that the more that you are thinking God's thoughts, that, that Scripture becomes a more part of just your natural life rhythm? that your mind begins to be transformed and you find yourself thinking things like God thinks. You find yourself thinking Scripture and getting your guidance from Scripture. And then based on what you've just thought, guess what happens? You begin to make choices based on that. You're able to handle the situation based on Scripture. You're able to face this. You're able to move forward. You're able to survive and to thrive. Why? Because what you were thinking in your mind enabled you to choose something in your life. And, and you see yourself over time making a series of really good choices that lead you to good places in your life, as opposed to all the little bad choices that add up and lead to our destruction. So immersing ourselves in Scripture, you know what it does? It, it, it transforms our mind, which enables us to make right choices. Then the third thing that it does for us, and this is usually where we begin, is that we start to feel different. You see, we don't live or begin by our feelings, but when we start thinking certain things and making certain choices, our, vol our volitional choices, then our emotions eventually come on board. And we find ourselves like a boat out at sea. We find ourselves beginning to be stabilized in our life. 
And even if it's rocky ways, guess what? We're okay. We're not rocked back and forth because our emotions are starting to be stable. Not just stable, but strong. And we can handle stuff that we never thought we could handle. Hey, that's what happens when we allow the authority of God's Word get into our minds and our hearts and our emotions. But don't divorce the book from the person. When you know the Bible, that means you can know the person. Do you really want to know him? See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.